You're listening to a message from Pastor Jack Holt at the River. This evening, I'm going to be ministering to you on the topic of setting yourself free. And what we're going to be talking about tonight are certain self-beliefs that we have that limit what we can do in Christ. How many know that in life, sometimes we get conditioned by our failures to not believe certain things because we've failed at it so many times. And it's that repetition of not experiencing the success that you desire that builds into us this belief that we call from our experience that it just won't work. But I'm gonna show you tonight in the Word of God that your failures don't define you. What defines you is Christ. His successes are our successes, no matter how many times we may slip up and fall. We are successful because he's in our life. Can you say amen, everybody? But let's start with the text. This is in uh, Zechariah chapter 4. And the, the context here is he's talking to a governor who has a project, a building project, building the temple. And in it, he says something very familiar, but very powerful. He says, so he answered and said unto me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? You shall become a plain, and he shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace to it. Now, here's the part I want you to see from this. In this prophetic prophecy, God speaks to Zerubbabel, the governor, and does a comparison with the problem that he's facing. He's facing social issues, and he's facing the building department. And it looks like there's no possible way that he can build the temple because of the resistance. And so God says, who are you, great mountain, before Zerubbabel? See, here's one of the things that you need to always remember in the Old Testament. The anointing of God was placed on the kings and the priests and the prophets and a few other people, but not not anyone else. And so there was only a few people that were anointed by God that God would use in a mighty way like that. But Zerubbabel had stopped believing in himself. He'd stop believing that he could do what God had told him to do. And so this whole prophecy is about, listen, I want to show you through the prophetic word that the mountain that you're facing is no match for you. You have my anointing, you have your power, and even though it seems big, the reality is the anointing that I place in your life makes you bigger than the one that you're facing. Now, I want to say this to a lot of you. The problem that you're facing is not as big as you. The problems that you're facing are not more powerful than you. They're very small when you understand that you're anointed. Say it with me, I'm anointed. And I'm going to share a verse with you that should magnify this in your life. It's found in Matthew 11:11. It's when Jesus is talking about John the Baptist, and he says, you know, John the Baptist was the greatest prophet that was in the Old Testament. And then he says this, the least in the kingdom is greater than him. Do you know what that means? He's talking about the least of the kingdom. He's talking about people that would be born again, regenerated after the resurrection of Christ is greater 
than the greatest prophet in the Old Testament. So when God says to Zerubbabel, who is not as great as John the Baptist, that the mountain is no match for you, Zerubbabel, think about you in the same spot. The problem that you're facing is no match for you if Christ is your Savior. The, the, the sickness that you face is no match for you. The financial problem you're facing is no match for you. Whatever you're facing, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. you got to remember that you have an ability to overcome, and you got to believe that you can do it. you got to believe that you can overcome it. you got to believe that you're more than a conqueror. you got to believe I don't have to stay this way the rest of my life. you got to believe that you can get through to the other side. you got to believe that you will defeat the thing in your life. And that's what he's trying to stress in this particular text, and I love it because he says, who are you, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? He doesn't say before him. Anybody knows a mountain's no match for God, but he says before Zerubbabel because Zerubbabel represents God and has the power, and God backs Zerubbabel with that power. And, and a lot of times we face problems and we go, yeah, it's no problem for God, but it's a problem for me. No, not when you know who you are in Christ Jesus. See, one of the problems I see in the church universally is people don't believe they can do anything anymore. They don't believe in who they are in Christ. They don't believe what the scriptures say about them. They don't believe that the greater one lives in them to the measure that it causes them to, to fight in faith for the things that God has promised them. What I love to do is build you up. Amen? I learned this years ago that insecurity is, a, is weaponized by the devil to defeat the anointing in your life. The anointing, he can't whip, but he can... Whip you when you have little faith in the anointing. And that's why Paul said to a young minister that actually wasn't that young. He was in his 30s. He said, God did not give you a spirit of timidity, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Listen, whether you're a woman, whether you're a man, you cannot afford to give way to insecurity in your life. You can do whatever God has called you to do. You can move every mountain that comes into your life. You have God inside of you, and you are designed to win, not to lose. You're designed to achieve and not beat. Dis Come on, anybody. There's power in this. But a lot of times we miss this, and what I would like you to do is write down this statement. Never measure yourself by who you were before Christ. Measure yourself by who you are right now in Christ. And when I say right now in Christ, I'm talking about in Christ after the resurrection. Remember 1 John 4, 17. As he is, so are we in this world. It didn't say as he is, so were we like he was. In other words, the way Jesus is right now is the way that we are. We've seated in heavenly places far above all principalities and powers, and that means that everything is below us 
in our lives. We need to measure ourselves from who we are in Christ, not what we used to be before we met Jesus. It's so easy in life to go through things, failure, and have people tell you that, you know, you're stupid in this, you're a failure, that you can't ever be a good husband, look at the, your track record, or you can't be a great wife, look at how your kids turned out. And there's a lot of people that suffer from that, and they have this personal belief, I just can't do it. I'm telling you tonight, don't, de don't determine what you can believe based on your experience. Determine what you believe based on what Christ accomplished. Because that is the way you change your experience, is by believing I'm a winner because Jesus is a winner. I can overcome because he overcame, and I am joint heirs with him, and he is actually reigning through me personally in my walk with God. That's why you have to be bold when it comes to the authority of Christ, bold when it comes to love, bold when it comes to the fruit of the Spirit, because it's Christ reigning through you. Say, he's reigning through me, praise God. In other words, the sunshine of heaven is coming through you in a great way and powerful way. You know, when our kids were smaller, uh, they would grow up and we'd take them in the room. You probably all did the same thing where you mark the wall. And you would measure, okay, look at you, you're this big. And I remember with my kids, they didn't really care about measuring themselves. What they cared about is going on all the rides at Disneyland. <laughs> so it was a big quest. Eat your green peas so that you can grow big enough to go on all the rides. Here's my, here's my thing to you. You have all are big enough to go on the greatest rides, experience the greatest joy, get the greatest thrills. Come on. In Christ, you're big enough, but you're going to have to measure yourself that way. If you don't measure yourself that way and you measure yourself, well, I'm, just an, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. Well, if you're just an old sinner, you're not going to accomplish anything. But you're not an old sinner. You're a saint. You're not a saint because of what you did. You're a saint because of what Christ did. You're not righteous because of your own righteousness. You're righteous because of his righteousness. You're not holy because of your own holiness. You're holy because of his holiness. You're not, good because, you're not being blessed because you're good. You're being blessed because of his goodness inside of you. It transforms you when you see that. So many people... Don't believe they can do what God's word says simply because they're measuring themselves by their own, their, their past defeats or they're measuring themselves before they met Christ. When I didn't know Jesus, I was different. When I met Jesus and I got saved, a new person came. And I've not been the same since. Can you say amen? But if you let the devil deceive you, he will try to t tell you that you can't do it. He'll try to say, well, you know, you're too young. You're not experienced enough. Or you're too old. You've missed your opportunity. Well, you failed at this. You can never do that. He'll try to do that. But in Christ, if you believe, if you measure yourself by Christ, you can pick up your bootstraps and stand up and say, praise God, the devil, you've already been defeated in my life. You've already been defeated over my finance. You've already been defeated over my health. You've already been defeated over my vision. I'm going to stand in faith and receive it. Hallelujah. So the way you measure yourself is really critical. And I want to make a statement about this to show you how powerful this is. When Jesus came to this earth, the Son of God put on flesh. 
But remember, Jesus never ministered as the Son of God. He ministered as a man anointed by the Holy Spirit. That's why he was given the Spirit without measure. And that's why you see no record of any miracles Jesus did until that happened in his life. Are you following me? So he didn't heal the sick because he was Son of God. He healed the sick because he was anointed with the Holy Spirit. He was passing the test of the perfect man. And he went to that cross, and he was raised up from the cross because he didn't have any own, his own personal sins. All the sins that he carried were yours and mine. He wouldn't have been raised from the dead if he had any sin at all in his life, but he wasn't. And God made him be punished for our sins and rose him up to the right hand of the Father. Now, here's the thing. When he was resurrected physically, his body wasn't glorified in deity. He, God glorified his humanity. In other words, he glorified, he resurrected humanity back to the same place that it was in the beginning before the fall. He put man right back in the place that the first Adam lost. Jesus is the perfect man. And your perfection doesn't come because of what you do. It comes because you partake of his perfection. And you work out his righteousness. And work out his holiness. And work out his authority. That's how it is. And it's beautiful. He's the son of God. Don't misunderstand me. But humanity was exalted to the right hand of the Father. Hallelujah. That's why it says that we're seated with him in heavenly places. You couldn't do that if he was seated in heavenly places because he was God. You can only do it because God took humanity and put it there. That's the only reason why you're seated there. You're seated in him, not in yourself. And I think we ought to give God praise at that point right there. That's pretty good preaching. That's what God did for you. Now, I'm going to show you some things in 1 John that are spiritually true because here's my intention. How many know that I've already taught you many times that we take the promises, we envision the promises, and the Holy Spirit touches what you envision? Because when you envision something, it gets into your spirit. I'm going to show you why whenever you get faith in your heart, you always win. I'm going to show you why that's true. Look at this verse. 1 John chapter 3 is a very uh, difficult verse for many people, but I'll read it to you. Whoever has been born, born of God does not sin, for the seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he's been born of God. Now, that's just literally what the text says. I know enough about Greek uh, to tell you that it isn't saying that the person born again doesn't or no longer habitually sins. It says, quite frankly, he never sins. Say it with me, never sins. Now, it's obvious that that can't be completely true because we sin in the flesh, we sin in our soul. But your soul's not saved and your flesh is not saved. But your spirit on the inside, when you believed in Christ, was born again. And Christ's seed remains in it. Now, I also know that this cannot be talking about habitual sin. Because if it is, every one of you here, we're going to have an altar call afterwards, are going to get saved. 
Because if it's saying that only born, uh, born again people do not habitually sin, then all of us should be up front and get saved again. Because all of you habitually worry. Come on, don't shout me down because I'm preaching good. All of you sometimes exaggerate the truth. That's preacher's big faults. Amen. And all of us, how do I say, always do things, maybe gossip, maybe not intentionally, maybe not all the time, but we have patterns when we habitually sin. So it can't be that, or if it isn't, we'd have to get saved every week. Am I just preaching to myself? Oh, pastor, I thought you didn't habitually sin. Oh, stop it. I want you to see the point of what I'm trying to tell you, that we struggle with these things. Amen? And we may get some victory here and there, but the reality is sin, a Christian sin. There's no doubt about it. But he's not talking about that. He's talking about who you are in Christ. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about that spiritual place where you've been regenerated. Now, let me show you a couple of verses. Look at the next verse here. It says, verse 5, And you know that he was manifest to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. Say no sin. In who? In Christ, right? Why isn't there any sin? Because he not only forgave you of your past sins, but your present sins and also your future sins. Forgave all of them. He couldn't say that if he only forgave your past sins up to your present sin. But he says there's no sin in him because on the cross he paid the price for all of your sins. And when God the Father looks at you, he sees Jesus and he sees all the sins are removed. They've been removed as far as the east is from the rest uh, West, there is no record of your wrongs that remain. He has blotted out your transgressions. He's removed your bad credit. He ha- come on, come on, everybody. That's what he's talking about in the passage. Now, look at this again, 1 John 5, verse 3. It says, and I know that he who is manifest takes away sins, and in him is no sin. Now write this down. 1 John 1, 5 says this. In him is no darkness at all. So it's not only no sin, there's no darkness. Do you know what that means? I don't think you know what that means. That means that the light of God is inside of you. There is no part of it that is dark. It's light. I don't think you, well, I didn't preach this at Christmas. It's a little bit too deep. But the light of God is what God used to create everything that we have. The first day he said, light be, but the sun wasn't created for three days. It was the light of the gospel that he was talking about. And everything else was created from that light. Your salvation came from illumination from that light. And one day, the Bible says, at the end of the age, there will be no sun, there will be no moon, there won't be any need of it because the light of the Lamb will light up all of creation. 
And you know why it says that? Because it says that we will fully know him as he has fully known us. In other words, the revelation of his word is fully exposed at the end. Hallelujah, Jesus. And you say, what's that got to do with everything? Well, when I pray in faith and I get it from my head to my heart by envisioning it, by saying the word, whatever I put in my heart is exposed to the light. I said it's exposed to the light. It's exposed to the place where mercy and grace is distributed. It's, it's, it's brought into the place where Christ reigns. He doesn't reign through your soul. He reigns through your spirit. He reigns through your inner man. He reigns through that place they call the holiest of holies where God's presence abides. God's inside of you. He'll want to reign over your finances, reign over your health, reign over your family, reign over your children, reign over all of them. Praise God. Woo. Well, that's what he's referring to in the passage. In that. Now, in the text, it says that when you abide in him, say abide. Abide doesn't mean what you're doing. Abide means location. You're abiding in the river tonight. It's the location. It has nothing to do with what you're doing. It has everything to do with your location. He's telling us that when we abide in him we're in the location of light. We're in the location where there's no sin. We're in the location where the Spirit leads us. Oh, glory to God. We're in the place where mercy and his power reigns from the throne of God. Woo! That's good news, isn't it? You say, well, I don't know if I support that. Well, Colossians 1, 13 and 14 do. They say that we were translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his son, Jesus Christ. I, you know, I, you remember old Star Trek Wars, Star Trek? Beam me up, Scotty. When you got born again, God transferred you from the place of separation and darkness from God to the place where the light of God is. Where God's presence, where Satan has no access. Remember, he's booted out of heaven. Amen? It is the place of God's reigning power. Oh, glory to God. And you say, why is that important that we know who we are in Christ like this? Because that's the place where your vision is birthed by the light of the gospel. That's where the place the Holy Spirit looks over and molds over what you're trying to create with your faith. And releases it in your life. Not in your head, but in your heart. Your head is the gateway into your heart, but it's not the heart. It's the path to your heart. Whatever a man thinketh, so he is where? In his heart. It's, it opens the doorway into the heart. Think victory and it gets into your heart. Think defeat, it gets into your heart. Think sickness, it gets into your heart. Think healing, it gets into your heart. You, you, your mind sets the stage for your victory. But it's not the exact place where it happens. Amen? So you need to believe in who you are in Christ. 
Now, I'm going to make a statement. It may startle you, but it's true. Did you know that God believes in you? Let me say it again. Did you know that God believes in you? Let me say it over here to this section. Do you, do you, know, do you, do you know that God believes in you? Say, so, well, what do you mean? Do you seriously think that God would send his only begotten son into the world to die for you if he didn't believe that you would, that you would believe on his son, Jesus Christ? Do you seriously think that God would take the most valuable possession that he had, which was his son, and sacrifice him for you if he didn't believe that if you were given the right equipment and your eyes were enlightened that you would turn to Christ? He believed in you. He believed that once he took the blindness off, you would receive Christ. Once, once he equipped you, you would, be a, you would take that equipment. He believed in you. He be, oh, glory to God. He believes you can become what he has called you to become. He believes that you can do what you put your hand to do. He, believe, whoo, he believes in you. Hallelujah. And you know what's so amazing about this and uh, whenever I study the Word, I always try to get the science of it as well as the spiritual side of it. And it was very interesting. I was studying on that, the power of imagination and so forth. And, and they did a study, the scientific study. And they took two groups of people. One person or one group of people, they had them exercise all week long. And it was like for a month or so. And then they had another group that didn't do any exercise. All they did is visualize the exercise. That's all they did. They just sat there and envisioned doing the reps. Envisioned doing the sit-ups. And after a month, the group that did the physical exercise improved 30%. Pretty good, amen? Amen. The group that did nothing improved 13%, and they didn't do anything. In other words, there's a connection between doing something with all your heart and just doing something. That's why with the Word of God, you always find this to be true, that it's not just doing the Word that matters, it's doing it in faith. When you do it in faith, God empowers you far beyond that science experiment. He empowers you when you believe that what you're doing is going to work because it's the will of the Lord. When you see that and you believe that it's going to work in your family, you believe it's going to work in your career, believe it's going to work with your kids, there's a supernatural power that is added to it. And that's why you see in the Olympics of people who break records. They don't do it purely by the physical. They do it because they, get, they do it with all their heart. Imagine what we could do as Christians when we do it with all of our heart, with the power of the Spirit, in the light of God, with the anointing. Oh, come on, everybody. You can do whatever it is that you're struggling with in your life. Amen? Now, let me show you one more verse here. 1 John, it says this, little children, this is 1 John 3, 7, let no one deceive you, he who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. Now, this is a little tricky, but here's what he's saying. 
He said, the person that practices righteous is righteous, and then he defines what kind of righteousness it is. Just as he, Jesus, is righteous. In other words, what he's saying is, is when you believe you have the righteousness of God in your life, you're going to practice that righteousness. Just like an eagle will soar in the sky because he's an eagle. Just like a fish will swim upstream a salmon because he's a fish. Come on, everybody. He's saying that that's the righteousness of God inside of your life. But it's not because of what you do. It's because of believing the gift that God gave you. Hallelujah. I like that because I like fishies. Amen? Now, here, here's something that I want to bring across here. We're going to close with an illustration here. The joy of the Lord is something that, go, that every believer should have in their faith. The joy of the Lord is a salvation that God gives us that we're to work out in our lives. The problem is a lot of people try to find success in their life any other way than faith. And that's where they fail. Let me give you an illustration of a story of this. You remember this? In fact, you can go ahead and stand up if you want. Many of you are probably tired anyway. It's, it's, it's a powerful story. It was the woman that had the blood issue for 12 years. Keep in mind, here's a woman, can't get married, can't have children. So the very things that bring fulfillment in a woman's life, at least some parts of it, this woman wasn't able to have because of her infirmity. And the scripture tells us that she suffered much from the physicians for, seven, for 12 years and grew worse. Say grew worse. Now here's the part we don't always identify with, but in the ancient world, they didn't have Medicare. They didn't have insurance programs. So the doctors, you had to pay them out of your own pocket. And they were all a bunch, you know, I call them witch doctors. They really weren't, weren't doctors like we think of. This woman obviously was very wealthy because to be able to pay for medical procedures for 12 years during Jesus' time, you had to be rich. Now, I don't know where she was rich. Maybe she inherited, who knows, but she had spent everything she had. Now she's broke. Have you ever met somebody like that? that they're blessed in one area but cursed in another. They do great on their job. They get promoted all the time, but they're going through their third, fourth wife. Or maybe they, they have, they're really good at this area, but yet their children are like demons. You ever know anybody like that? Well, you're blessed in one area and cursed in the other area. And the, the bad thing about it is you can be blessed in one area, then the curse over here will steal the joy in this area. Here's this woman, 12 years. I'm blessed here, but I'm cursed here. 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 I see it all the time in marriages where there's good things that happen, but then there's all these baggage 
All these terrible things that just follow along. I want you to know right up front that it's never God's will for you to live that way all your life. Never, never, that, never, that, never his way. This woman makes the universal mistake that most people make in Christianity. She was looking for a solution from her problem through physical means rather than spiritual means. The problem she had, the root of it was spiritual. It wasn't physical, even though she was sick. People do this all the time in church where they try to fix their marriage through physical means when the problem isn't that, it's spiritual. And you've got to fix the spiritual if you want to have lasting effects physically in the marriage. Well, if he would just make more money, I would be happy. Or if she was just better in bed, I'd be happy. Don't shout me down because I'm preaching good. You see this going on in the church where people are trying to solve a spiritual problem through a physical means. Well, if, I have just, if I just had more friends, I would be happy. Or if I just got to this level, I would be happy. And, it, and it's not something that can be acquired. Fulfillment can't come without you gaining it by your faith in Christ. It can't come. Remember Mick Jagger? I can't get no satisfaction. That's the world. They go from one woman to the next woman. They go from one man to the next man. They go from one position to the next position. They're searching for something to cure them of their dissatisfaction. You can't do it through natural means. Well, what you need, Pastor, uh, you know, those family, they just need some good psychology. No, they need more than that. It's spiritual. It's spiritual. I know what I'm talking about. I was in the martial arts. I was always trying to succeed at this and do this. Had to buy this. Got to get this, got to get this size wheel. Got to get that size wheel. Got to get this kind of car. Got to get this. Got to do, I just... It's always empty. Never satisfied. It wasn't until I came to Christ. And when I came to Christ, all of a sudden something changed. Then I said, Lord, I want to succeed, but I want to succeed by faith. I want to succeed because I want you to move in my life. And, and when God moves through your faith, there is a joy. There is a fulfillment that is unlike what any material thing can give you. Just nothing like it. And that's why Jesus said what he said. He said, right before the resurrection, he says, ask whatever you want in my name and I'll give it to you so that your joy might be made full. He didn't put any conditions on whatever you ask. He didn't do that. Why? He wants you to be fulfilled in every area in your life. He wants you to be fulfilled in your marriage. He wants you to be fulfilled in your career. He wants you to be fulfilled in raising your kids. He wants you to be fulfilled in your walk with you. He wants you to be fulfilled 
in every area in your life. He wants you to be filled. Here's the whole key, man. There's nothing wrong with making wealth. There's nothing wrong with any of that stuff if your faith is making it. Nothing wrong with being healthy as long as your faith is making it. Nothing wrong with having a great marriage as long as your faith is creating it. But if your faith isn't creating it, you'll always be dissatisfied no matter what personal changes the person makes. Well, they come home now. Before, they wouldn't come home until 7 o'clock. Now they come home at 5. Now they go to lunch with me. It's never going to satisfy you until you make your marriage great by your faith. Hallelujah. That means your spouse becomes your play model. That you want to believe in faith, God will develop them into the person or the woman that she's to be. And you see your faith working in your children. They're growing up and they're loving Jesus. That's what brings satisfaction. That's what causes a lasting effect in your faith. You can't live without faith. You gotta keep believing God for the breakthrough. Keep believing God for the change. Keep believing God for your personal life and your pleasures. It's Nothing wrong with wealth as long as you get it by faith. Get it by faith, you tithe, you give, you, you ask God for wisdom on how to be better at what you do. Uh, it's never just the material thing, it's the faith creates it. Woo! And that's exactly what the woman with the issue of blood did. She heard about Jesus. Remember the verse that says, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear? What does that mean? She was listening for something that would give her the ability to believe she could receive what she needed. She heard the gospel. She heard the good news. (laughs) Woo! She heard the good news. And she started to say, if I just touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made whole. And she said it and saw it until she moved on it and moved through the crowd. And sometimes you got, when you're going through the crowd, you got to keep saying it and seeing it. Because people are in the way. Get out of my way. I'm getting them a blessing. Get out of the way. <laughs> and she touches them. She feels power come into her. Whew. Now, this is, this is what's interesting. She kind of pulls away after she gets touched. Jesus stops. Who touched me? He's in a multitude of people, man. And he turns and he sees her. And she comes before him in fear and trembling. Why was she afraid? Why would you be afraid of the healer who healed you? Why would you be afraid? She's afraid for one reason. She didn't get his permission. She didn't ask him if she could draw the power. She took the power. And what did Jesus say? Your faith has saved you. Let me give you Jack Holt paraphrase. Salvation is free. When it's free, you just receive it. You can get as much as you want. It's free. 
You know, come on, it's free. When our grandkids come over, my wife makes cookies. She tells the grandkids, you don't have to ask us for it. Whatever you want to eat, you want to eat all the cookies you can, whatever you want in the pantry, you can, she, she actually says that to them. You can have as much as you want for as long as you want. It's free, it's free, it's free, it's free, it's free. If you need Jesus, it's free. Thanks for listening today. For more messages like this one, check out our podcast, River App, and our website at theriver.church. We're the river and we're doing life together.